60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding's nationwide mortgage licensing system ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer, where you see Robert Palmer is the consumer empowering voice explaining all important facets of the economy from savings to credit cards, credit scores, loans of all types, and building your financial wealth. It's not your typical finance show. We're not talking about stocks and bonds so much as we're talking about everyday people, people who are trying to go from those 500 and 600 credit scores up into the 700s and above, beyond, so to speak. There are so many things that you can learn from this show, from the Saving Thousands website, from the radio shows, from the archives. There are so many things that Robert Palmer wants to empower you with. And here's the deal. We're not asking for anything back. This is absolutely a public service. This show is reaching out to empower each and every person who in any way, shape, or form has any kind of money, whether you receive a weekly paycheck whether you've got big investments, whatever it is, everybody can learn more. And we can learn it right here on the radio through Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer. Big, big news today. Here's what we're going to talk about. Are you tempted by some of these companies that offer you an easy path to buy weekly payments, but they want to administer it and they want to charge you a fee? We'll also ask Robert Palmer about himself, about the company, about the radio show, about his goals. All right. We'll talk about the credit card companies and what the credit card companies are doing right now to provide you and me with less information about our account. And they're doing it all, all under the guise of saving us time and saving the environment. All right. We're going to also talk about when we're young, how much money do we waste? How much time do we waste by renting and moving around from here to there? A lot more coming up with financial freedom. But Robert, let's talk about these companies or this practice of bi-weekly payments. Do I have to pay a fee? There was a, a bi-weekly loan company. Uh, you, did you hear about this one, Rob? Oh, I didn't hear about this. So there's a, it's a pretty cool concept. For a lot of people that get paid 26 times a year bi-weekly, you know, so if you get paid every two weeks, you get 26 paychecks a year instead of 24. And so somebody figured out, hey, you know, if I take my mortgage payment and I cut it in half and then I mail it in 26 times a year, basically every time you get paid, sure. you send in half of your mortgage payment. And, and so the, the warning I will give you is get a payment ahead first because sometimes the timing doesn't come up, right? And you can actually go late and be charged late fees oh, I didn't know. because the whole payment isn't there in time. So my recommendation is, one, you can do this yourself. Uh, you can just do it yourself. Set it up with your bank to where you're going to send in half the payment every time you get paid, which if you're biweekly is 26 times a year. But make an extra payment first so you're one payment ahead so you don't ever get late fees mm-hmm. because sometimes the timing can get hinky. Well, these companies figured out that they could sell the service of helping you uh, do biweekly payments. <laughs> and so instead of you doing it yourself, you sign up with this company and you pay them fees, and then they will draft your bank account uh, every two weeks for you for this fee. For like, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty expensive too. And and so the CFPB has sued uh, one of these companies, claiming that the fees offset the savings. So the idea is, if you make an extra payment a year on your mortgage, if you make twenty six half payments a year, that's thirteen full payments instead of twelve. And by making one mm-hmm. extra payment a year, you can cut a significant amount of time off the back of your mortgage because the you're paying the balance down sooner. So now more of your money is going to principal and less of it is going to interest. Mm-hmm. And this snowballs and it pays down faster and faster. Uh, and so people figured this out and, and bi-weekly got popular. And so then these companies popped up who will do this for you. Well, I, let me tell you, it's really easy to pay a bill. I mean, especially today. I mean, I would say every bank out there has some form of online payments, even to other banks, right? So you just... So if, if, here's my quick 45-second rundown in how to do a biweekly payment, <laughs> and I'm not going to charge you a dime for it. And so allegedly this company, the fees they were charging ate up almost all of the savings over the first like seven or eight years. And so, yeah, in the yeah. end, some people did save money, but most of them did not because they would drop out of the program because all of a sudden they realized, well, I've saved 3000 but I've paid 3000 in fees. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that people are even paying three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 in fees to have someone set them up on bi-weekly payments is insane. Crazy. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, one, you, like I said, you have to be ready to make an extra payment. All right. So uh, if you think this is a good idea, I would go ahead and save up. And when you're ready to make your first extra payment, mail it in. So we're sitting here in May 
And so let's say I made my May mortgage payment on May 1st. Right. And now I'm going to make a second mortgage payment now on May 20th. So now instead of being due on June 1st, my next payment is not due until July 1st. Right. So I've got a I've got a 30 day cushion. Now I'm going to go into my. So that's step one. I'm going to make one extra payment now. So you got to save up a little money. Right. Yeah. We're going to be proactive. I'm going to make one extra payment now. Then I'm going to go into my online banking. Uh, for this, I would probably use my. Yeah, we'll say I'm going to use my Chase account. Okay. So I go in there and I'm going to set up auto pay. And you can tell what bank you want them to pay and when you want them to pay it. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to say, all right, we're going to do this every two weeks. And I take my mortgage payment and I divide it by two and I type that number in and then I hit save and I walk away. And now every time my paycheck gets put in on direct deposit, they are going to mail uh, half of the payment, half of my mortgage payment off to the mortgage company. And I will be making one extra payment a year for the rest of my life, as long as I leave this in place. And it didn't cost me anything. I mean, come on. But but this company but was, was so charging. Hard. And, and it, but he, see, here here's the part that a lot of people don't know. And this is the part that bothers me. These companies, and I don't know if. I don't know if this particular one does because I've never been approached by them or had any dealings with them. But a lot of these biweekly companies approach us as mortgage companies or approach mortgage loan officers and say, hey, we'll pay you a commission to sign people up for our program. Oh, no. And so now the loan officer says, well, I could give them the Robert Palmer 45-second free tutorial Mm -hmm. on how to make biweekly payments. Or I can sign them up with biweeklyinternational.com and make a couple hundred bucks. And this is where the greed comes in. And this is the part that drives me crazy. Uh, and so instead of doing what's right for the customer, which is, hey, you don't need to pay anybody to make biweekly payments. Mm-hmm. Just mail your check in every two weeks. I mean, even if you don't if you don't like online banking, just let's do this. Sit down and write out 26 checks. How long would that take, Rob? Yeah. So we're going to sit down. We're going to write out our 26 checks. Now, you are going to pay one extra stamp. Right, if you have to mail your payment, that's right? not bad. Maybe you know now if your mortgage is with RP funding, you could just bring it on down here. Right, we're local. Come, sure. come by, say hi. We'll pour you a cup of coffee. Uh, but if not, you know you can you have to pay for an extra uh, 13, 14 stamps a year. I mean, I guess that's that's not that's a couple bad. bucks. I mean, again, but with online, it's so easy these days. Everybody makes it so easy. I really don't see a purpose for these companies. Now they don't want to hear me say that. I don't really care what they want to hear. I'm telling you, there's no purpose for this. Do not pay anyone fees in order to pay your mortgage off quicker, all right, by using biweekly payments. And it really is a cool concept, right? Because mm-hmm. most people budget based on their paycheck. And so if you do get paid 26 times a year instead of 24 because you're biweekly, it's a cool little kind of, I'll call it a life hack. You know, it's a cool little hack where you can right. say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna take my mortgage payments $1,000. I'm going to take $500 out of every paycheck. And I'm going to do that 26 times a year instead of 24, which ends up being 13 payments. And yes, you will pay your mortgage off faster, but you don't have to have anyone help you do that. See, pe- people will call us and say, oh, does RP Funding offer biweekly mortgage? But no, we don't have to. Anybody can pay. You can pay whenever you want as long as it's before the payment date, right? Right. So you can pay whenever you want as long as it's early. And so that's where I'm, I'm telling you make that extra payment first, get a month ahead, because you don't want to get hit with a late fee because the time. Because what will happen is if, if you're second, so let's say that you know the, the, first, the first payday for you is on the second, and then the second payday would be 14 days later on the 16th. Well, if you make the second half of your payment on the 16th, it's after the 15th. So you'd be paid a late fee because you would not have paid the entire thing right. by the 15th, which is the requirement. This is why we make one extra payment up front. But that's it. And that one extra payment you make is your money because it's going to your balance and your interest. So that's my advice. So the CFPB is suing these guys for a significant sum of fun, a significant amount of money. I don't know off the top of my head. But you know, and now they're coming back and claiming that you know some of their earliest adopters did save money well obviously they saved money they paid their mortgage off faster the real question is why do they need to pay fees yeah. to a company to do biweekly payments so again and you know i'm going to uh, producer dave remind me we're going to post a quick little tutorial on biweekly payments on savingthousands.com after the show today uh, i'll put all five steps right there for you step 1 make extra payments <laughs> step 2 make half payment every time you get paid step 3 pay off mortgage faster Three steps, Dave. Right Pretty darn steps. easy. Three you steps. Know, and that's I totally remember. free, Rob. No, no cost for those three steps. You're not going to charge anything? No, no fees? Well, I mean, if you guys want to mail me in a check. I mean, we're back to no fees. Mail me, mail me a check yeah. for a couple thousand bucks for that piece of advice. A lot more Saving Thousands coming your way right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. But first of all, we want to tell you a little bit about that radio station you're listening to right now. You know, it's special. It's a very special radio station. You know Why? Robert Palmer has been on the radio for almost nine, ten years now. And it all started off 
with a powerhouse news talk station in Central Florida. All right. But then RP Funding and the Robert Palmer family of companies decided to expand their reach to offer financial services outside of Florida, all across the Southeast, and pretty soon nationwide. And we have found that the best way to reach you, the best way to instruct you on the ways of the economy, the best ways to empower you so that you'll have more money in your pocket at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, we decided that the best way to do that is the way that Robert's always been doing it, on the radio, okay? So yes, Robert has billboards and yes, he has TV, but the main scope has always been the radio show. So now the radio show is played throughout the Southeast and we chose radio stations just like this one in every market in the Southeast where we wanted to do business. And when you say we chose, yes, we did. See, this is not a syndicated program. This program was designed to play on this very radio station in this very city. Why? It's because of you, because you're the very people, you are the audience that we are trying to teach, we're trying to go for, that we are trying to make part of our family. And therefore, we've got kind of a deal going here, don't we? The show costs you nothing. We don't interrupt Robert with a whole bunch of commercials. We just try to get the information from Robert to you in ways that are easy, easy to do, easy to follow. And you've got the rules. You've got everything going for you right here with Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer. So having said that, Robert, a lot of people come up to me. They know I've been on the show with you almost forever. And they say, well, tell us about Robert Palmer. Why is he making so many changes in the mortgage industry? What, what, what is about him that he's such a leader? Yeah, so I was dropped on my head as a child and uh, decided that I would uh, do mortgages with no fees. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was in the mortgage business, Rob, and, and uh, really just saw during the peak of the boom how crazy and greedy, and, and I, I like to use the word vampiric. I, I really just have this picture of the mortgage business being like a vampire and just getting a hold of somebody and sucking the life out of them. Because mm-hmm. uh, that, that's what the, the industry did to a lot of people during the boom. And, you know, I remember being in a meeting. Uh, I remember being in a meeting. I was working for a big billion-dollar lender, and, you know, they were based here in Orlando. And I was in a meeting with them and, and the Wall Street guys. You know, they were packaging a lot of loans and selling them to Wall Street. And we, they were, I was sitting in this meeting, and this was toward the end. This was, like, right before the collapse. And this was kind of the moment I realized that that I needed to either find the new career or figure out how to how to do mortgages in a way that were consumer-friendly. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there with the, the Wall Street guys, and, and we were trying to roll out a new loan product. And so we had kind of built the guidelines around what we considered responsible lending. So we're like, okay, for this particular credit score range and this particular income documentation type and everything else, uh, we're going to have the customer put 20% down. Because if, you know, for someone mm-hmm. buying in this level of house and this was a construction perm loan. And, and so we kind of went back and looked at all of our analytics. And the guys from Wall Street were like, well, uh, if we have them put less money down, how much more can we charge them? And, oh, and we're like, oh, look, oh. we're like, guys, the... Uh, you know, from our statistics, if they put less money down, they're going to default. If mm-hmm. we allow people with smaller down payments in this particular profile, you know, this was a no income verification. Like this was the a crazy loan program back in 2005 or 2000. It's probably 2006. And like, we don't care about the defaults. We want to make more money. So how do we get higher rates? How do we get more fees? If we give you a higher loan to value, if we give you a lower down payment, will that allow you to charge the customers more so that we can all make more money? And I, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, this is insane. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I protested. We ended up not doing the deal with them because um, I'm just like, the level of greed is insane. They didn't want to do the, the 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 program that made sense because they were too greedy. These Wall Street guys were too greedy. All they cared about was making as much yield as possible. They didn't care about the risk. They didn't care about the the possibility of default or foreclosure. Like I sat in these meetings and saw it, and it was it was the truth. I mean, they did not care. All they cared about was yield. They cared about high interest rates mm-hmm. and crazy fees. And, and lining their pockets, and they didn't care if the customer was going to succeed. They didn't care if we were going to succeed as a lender. They didn't care if the person who actually invested in the stupid you know, bond, because these, these Wall Street guys are not using their own money. Sure. They're just packaging it up and then selling it on the street. And so they didn't care if the guy who actually invested in it was going to be successful. All they cared about was their commission check, and all they cared about was how much they could jack up the cost by making it a riskier loan program. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, at that moment, I'm like, this is, this is crazy. This is insane. And so when the whole industry kind of fell down around us, you know, and, and the crash happened and all these guys got what was coming to them because now the loans weren't paying and, and these fat cat traders who were making all this money off of toxic mortgages were out, out of jobs, out of the business. 
And I'm like, you know, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a whirl. You know, I'm going to go back into business for myself. I'm going to open my own mortgage company again, and I'm going to do it the right way. And if I can't make it work the right way, then I'll, I'll find something else to do. I'll move to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll take up country music and get a guitar and a hat and figure out how to, how to serenade. I mean, something, you know, I was going to do anything, but I refused to stay in an industry where it was just, there was so much greed and so much misuse and, and smoke and mirrors. And it just, I, you know, there were, there were times I couldn't sleep at night because I knew what the company I worked for was doing. And, uh, and so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to put my name on it and I'm going to do it differently. Well, we are saving thousands with Robert Palmer. And you know, besides the radio show that we've been talking about, you can get a lot of financial tools at savingthousands.com. Savingthousands.com is kind of like a warehouse store. I mean, a gigantic warehouse store, but this store is full of information. This store is full of things for you that don't cost you any money. And so let's say that you walked into this giant virtual saving thousands store, so to speak, and you looked up and you saw the different departments of the store. Okay. Well, that's kind of what saving thousands, the website's all about. You can actually click on windows on page one that will take you to radio shows, info modules, and easy to understand articles on personal finance. Well, there's another window for credit cards, one for credit scores, mortgages, home ownership, financial zombies. And I hope you're not a financial zombie, but if you are, well, there's hope for you. And that hope is right here. And another portal or window for banking. So let's just say that you chose credit cards and you clicked on that box and your computer processed and processed. And then you would end up looking at a list of articles and radio shows having to do with credit cards. Okay. Here's an article by Caleb from our research staff, a zero credit card balance. Does that help or hurt my credit to score? And under that, there's a radio show that you can play back on demand having to do with credit cards and some articles like paying your credit card at the right time to increase your credit score. Canceling a credit card directly affects your credit score, a zero credit balance. All these articles appear all of a sudden right in front of you. And all you have to do is click on them. So it's an amazing, amazing place. Savingthousands.com. Savingthousands.com. Well, let's talk about what finance companies are doing to us, Robert. It seems to me like finance companies are making it harder and harder for me to find out the information about my accounts. Rob, moving on. uh, We've talked about this credit card thing. It's all about less disclosure, right? Yeah, it is. So the, the idea is, so I, I pulled up the rules behind this. And, and basically, the, the boxes that they have to put on the statements, right? Uh, one has to say, uh, if if you make no additional charges using this card and each month you pay only the minimum payment, how many years will it take you to pay off the balance, right? And then if you make a little bit of an extra payment, how long will it take you to pay off the balance? And, and so in one example I found in the regulation, uh, it would take 11 years to pay off the balance if you only made the minimum payment where just making an extra 20 bucks a month, you would pay it off in three years, right? This is the information on the credit card statement that is oh so important that, that you cannot find uh, online. You uh-huh. cannot find this uh, when you are, are online, when you are on your, like I was actually, I logged into the mobile version of my, my credit card statement, Rob, uh-huh. and you can't even get to the PDF from the mobile version. <laughs> and I, I couldn't even, I couldn't find what my interest rate was anywhere in the mobile version. And I definitely couldn't find this information in the mobile version. And, and so, you know, we've talked about this on the air, how the whole reason that the credit card companies want you to go paperless is they want to hide this disclosure from you. So this was a part of the, uh, the, the February 22nd, 2010 Card Act rules that the Federal Reserve put into play. And, and if you go back and look, that is almost exactly the time, right, when credit card companies started encouraging us to all go paperless. And they, 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 they claim that they care about the environment, right? <laughs> and they, right. they claim that they want us to be environmentally conscious. And they claim uh, that they want us to be more convenient. But when you look at the online versions or the mobile app versions, they conveniently forgot to show us all this information that would encourage us to pay our credit cards off sooner, right? When you see the numbers, when you see that $20 a month, can save you seven years of payments, which is absolutely 
insane, you're probably going to mail in the extra $20. And they don't want you to mail in the extra $20 because trust me, they want you to pay for 11 years instead of seven. That's how they make money. And so when this happened, when the, this new act, these new rules were passed by the Federal Reserve and it required them to clearly on the first page of the statement in a box with a bold border around it, explain to you the difference between just a small $20 a month extra payment, they freaked out. <laughs> and so they put their brightest minds in a room and they figured out how to beat the system. We're going to do it in the name of the environment. We're going to tell all of our consumers that we don't want to kill trees anymore. And we'll give you a $5 statement credit or something ridiculous if you agree to help us not kill trees, right? And we're going to quit mailing you statements. And then we're going to bury the PDF so deep down the website you can't find it. And then we're going to push you all to a mobile version where we legally don't have to show you this information because we don't want you to know how to pay these credit cards off sooner. And that is one of the greatest tricks being perpetuated right now in the credit card industry. And as we say in the rules, Rob, mm. if you know the tricks, they don't work. So I want everyone out there listening. I want you, you there right now, you there listening right now to go home and find the PDF and look at the box and understand how powerful that knowledge is and how much faster you could pay off that credit card with just a few extra dollars on your monthly payment and then understand why they wanted to hide this information from you so badly. If you know the tricks, they don't work. Rule number five. And again, rule number two, Robert, how about that? Knowing your numbers because the people don't know their numbers. Absolutely. Got to know crazy. your numbers. Hey, they, we, don't want, they don't want us to know our numbers. No. Well, it's important for us to find those numbers. So do yourself a favor and go into your computer, look up and go to the actual site. Or better yet, insist that your credit card company and all those department stores start sending you the paper again. I mean, you can start going in and finding out where this information is on the web, or you can ask them for a paper statement. That's up to you, but you've got to know your numbers. Yes, that's just one of the 15 rules to success from Robert Palmer. That's rule number two. Rule number one, as you already know, is always shop around. Shop for your purchases. Shop for the bank that you're going to have. Shop for the different accounts that they offer, because each one of those accounts has the potential, just the potential, to save you on bank fees, but they've got their rules and you need to know what those rules are. All right. There's a three day rule of the saving thousands rules. That is not bank rules, but the saving thousands rules. The three day rule is a waiting period of three days before any large purchase. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you suddenly get the urge that you're going to buy a big screen TV or you're going to recarpet the house or whatever it might be, a boat, a camp or a vacation, whatever it is, give it three days before you actually pull the trigger. Nobody's trying to talk you out of making the purchase. It's just that during that waiting period, cooler minds will prevail, as they say. You'll begin to look at that product, the service, whatever it is, in a different way. And you'll be able to look at it objectively. The good, the bad, the ugly, the shortcomings, the luxuries, all of that you can consider over the three days. And in almost every instance, you'll find that you get a better product with a better warranty and you get the biggest bang for your buck. And that's what it's all about with rule number three, the three-day rule. Well, Robert, let's talk about this younger generation, the millennials. They're not just getting into homes. And yet, as we look back, I guess when we were young, we didn't either. We love to rent. I mean, I don't know about you, Rob, but I know back when I rented, I moved around a lot. Right? Me too. Like, Ooh, you yeah. know, it, it was like uh, when the, when the one-year lease was up, I was off to the next place. Because they usually want to jack the rent up so much that it just wasn't worth it to stay. And so if you take into account all the money you would have spent on moving trucks or buying beer to bum your buddies to come over and help you move, you know, U-Haul uh, trucks, whatever it is, uh, all of that adds up, you know. And there's usually that period where you can't, you can't seem to time it perfectly, so there seems to be times when you pay double rent because you can't get out of the one place in time to get to the next place. I mean, when you look at all the cost savings of homeownership, right, and, and, and the power of owning rental, pro of owning real property, of owning property in this country, and the first step, right, that first giant leap is to buy a house for you to live in. That's where it all starts. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to stop throwing your money away in rent, to stop renting a home, and to go out there and buy a home to live in. And that, that's the first step. I mean, you can take it so much further, and you can keep that first house as a rental, and you can move into another house, right? I mean, you can, you can perpetuate this. You know, you can build up a portfolio of rental properties so that now you become the landlord. You become the guy who's collecting money every month that then goes to make the payment 
while the asset is going up in value, right? So think about that, right? I mean, a $200,000 house, you've got a tenant paying you $1,500 a month to live in it. You're taking that $1,500 a month and you're sending it on to the mortgage company. And in 10 years, it will have gone up in value, roughly, you know, $60,000, $70,000, and the mortgage will have gone down and, and you didn't do anything. Right. You didn't make the payment. I mean, you had to deal with finding the tenants or you had to pay a property manager. I mean, I'm not going to say you did nothing, but when you look at the the potential earnings and this is what makes real estate so exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, again, people are people are scared. People saw how bad it can go. Uh, and, and I will tell you, a lot of the factors that created that bubble uh, are no longer legal. Right. Most of it was caused by the mortgage industry. Uh, you know, I, I did a I did a paper on this, Rob, back in right before the crash. And uh, I talked about how. As home prices had increased, mortgage payments did not because the mortgage industry kept coming up with creative ways to lower people's mortgage payments, right? So first thing we did is we gave them adjustable rate more. So let's say, a, you know, let, let's say that this, this 2,000 square foot house, uh, the payments, just for round numbers, the, the, it's, it's a $200,000 house, the payment's $1,000 a month, uh, you know, and, and, and it was a 2,000 square foot house, right? And, and so as the value went up, people didn't want to pay more than $1,000 a month. So in the mortgage industry, we said, well, how about this? We'll put them on adjustable rate mortgages, right? So when the house was only 200000 we could give them a fixed rate mortgage and the payment was $1,000 a month and people are willing to pay $1,000 a month for that house in that neighborhood with that amount of square footage. Yep. So now all of a sudden the value goes up to 250000 Well, the problem is people still only want to pay $1,000 a month. So we figured out, okay, well, how about this? We'll put them on an adjustable rate mortgage. Then we can give them a, a lower rate in the beginning so they still have that $1,000 a month payment that they wanted. And even though the house costs two fifty now instead of two hundred, it feels the same to the buyer because all they care about is the monthly payment, right? And so then the house went up in value to three hundred thousand. And so now we had to figure out something again. So now we said, okay, well, how about this? We won't charge them any principal. We'll let them make all the payment toward interest. So now that 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 same house that now costs three hundred thousand, well, if we don't charge them principal and we let them just make an interest only payment, if all they do is pay the monthly interest still on that arm, that adjustable rate mortgage, the payment will stay at $1,000. So when we started this little exercise, <laughs> a fixed rate 30-year mortgage on this house was $1,000 a month. Then the value went up, but to keep the, and the price went up, but to keep the payment from going up, we switched them to an adjustable rate mortgage. So now they could buy the same house with the same $1,000 a month payment. Well, then the value went up again. And so now our solution as an industry was, well, now we're going to have them not pay principal. Instead of a 30-year fixed mortgage, we're going to give them a mortgage that never pays off it's interest only. And now even though the house costs 300000 instead of 200000 the monthly payment will be the exact same because they will pay interest only, right? Well, then the value, the price went up again. And so then the price went up to 350000 And now we're like, man, well, we've, we've already gone from a fixed rate to an adjustable rate. Then we went from a, a mortgage where they were reducing their principal and making a principal payment to a mortgage where they're only paying the interest. What are we going to do next? Well, the only thing left is they got to pay less than the interest, right? We can't even... We can't even get the interest out of them. And so this is where the invention of what's called a negative amortization loan came oh, from, right? Those this days. is all back in the, and this is what caused it, Rob, because when the value went from 300 to 350, and remember, wages weren't going up, right? People weren't making any more money. So they couldn't afford to pay more than $1,000 a month. That's all they could afford. So we as an industry had to figure out how to fit a $300,000 sales price into a $1,000 payment. And when the interest, when the monthly interest is more than $1,000, that didn't work very well. And so what we figured out is, well, here's what we'll do. Because home prices are going up so fast, we will give them a loan where they actually, the monthly payment is less than the interest. So on on a normal loan, uh, amortization, right? Amortization, this is the word that describes as you make payments, the the debt goes away, right? And this comes, amort comes from the, I think it's the Latin word, Greek. I think it's the Latin word, Latin word to kill, right? And so the idea is you are killing the debt. So if you owe $200,000, if it's an amortizing loan, every payment you make, you are killing the debt so that at the end of the scheduled payments, it will be zero. It will be dead. It will be killed. That's the idea behind amortization. And when you get a mortgage today, you get an amortization schedule that shows you how those balances go down. Well, negative amortization was the opposite. So now with every payment you make, your balance went up. Right, because remember the house price used to be two hundred, and the payment was a thousand a month. Now the house price is three hundred and fifty thousand, and the payment still needs to be a thousand dollars a month, so people will buy it because they don't have more wages. They can't afford to spend more than a thousand a month. And we, as an industry, had a lot of liberties back then to do whatever we wanted. And so the industry came up with the negative amortization adjustable rate mortgage, where the monthly payment you made, the thousand dollars you made, did not even cover the interest that was due, and the balance went up each and every month. So every month you owned the house. 
the balance went up, the balance went up. So, Rob, the next phase in that price going up, when the home price went to 400000 guess what? We were out of tricks. It was insanity. The, in, the industry had nothing left. <laughs> we went from fixed rate, amortizing, reducing balance with monthly payments loan, to adjustable rate mortgage to lower the rate temporarily, to interest-only adjustable rate, to lower the payment by not paying any principal, to negative amortization, which is making a payment that isn't even big enough to cover the interest, so the principal increases every month. So when home values increased one more time, we as an industry had nothing to throw at it, and this is what caused home prices to crumble, because no one was ever willing to pay more than $1,000 a month for that house because we weren't seeing the wage growth, right? So that's what happened. That's what caused the crash. Well, this time around, this time around, there are laws that prevent the industry from doing those things, right? And as of right now, we have not seen adjustable rate mortgages come back. We have not seen interest only come back. And you can't do negative amortization anymore, except under a very, very tiny, tiny window that basically means it will never come back, which is good because this is how we're going to present, you know, prevent another bubble from happening. So now what we're seeing is, People buying houses at higher prices are having to pay higher payments, uh, which is the way it should be, right? This, this growth in home prices is not being fueled by creative financing in the mortgage industry. This growth in home prices is being fueled by people willing to pay higher monthly payments for houses because homes were too low. They were undervalued, right? They crashed too far, and now we have recovered. Hey, Robert, I wanted to go back to the rules where we kind of left off a while ago. Let's go back to the rules. And rule number four is don't abuse credit, but don't fear it either. And I know in all the discussions you and I have on this, there are so many people now that are listening to late night talk show pundits talk about don't get credit. Don't get yourself in the hole. Don't even apply. Well, you know, you and you often explain on this show and the articles at savingthousands.com explain that credit is a big part of our lives. We don't have to be a mastermind. We don't have to get all caught up and let our days be consumed with credit. But credit can be a great tool. And as far as not having any credit at all, well, what's going to happen when you do want to buy a house? you got to have a credit score. What's going to happen when you want to buy a car? Credit score. Even what's going to happen when you apply for car insurance? Even your car insurance now is rated not only on your driving record, not only on the value of the car you're going to be driving, not only are the accidents in the area where you'll be driving, but also factored in is your credit score. You've got to have credit. So rule number four, don't abuse credit. In other words, don't get a bunch of cards and run and max them out and then not pay them. Oh, don't do that. But get some credit cards, pay them on a timely manner, open up some lines of credit so that you do have the tools and you have more control over your cash. Rule number five, this leads us to the new topic that Robert and I will discuss in a moment. Because rule number five is, if you know their tricks, they just won't work. You see, thousands and thousands of dollars are spent, millions of dollars are spent every year by the financial institutions that offer us money or offer us some sort of credit or some sort of service. Millions are spent on trying to figure out fees and hidden ways that those very financial institutions can get their hands on more of our money. So on the one hand, yeah, we're getting 30 days to pay or 60 days to pay. But then there's the interest rate. There's the fees for so many days. We've got to be on top of that. We've got to be empowered, Robert. Well, the economy is back, but a lot of people are still lagging behind because they feel like they're just going to be a pawn to finance. They're going to be a financial zombie. And the 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 key is that we can really take control and do things ourselves. Yes, we can. And, uh, and, and so I guess the... The big issue is we have these self-limiting beliefs, right? And so the idea uh -huh. that we can't do something. And so I think a lot of people maybe look at credit and they say, I can't be responsible with credit. Uh, if I have credit, I'm going to screw up. You know, or, or Robert, I, I can't figure all these things out. You know, you're in the financial services industry. Of course, you understand interest. And of course, you understand late fees. And of course, you understand APRs and annual, you know, annual fees. I don't understand any of that. I'm not in the financial business. Why? Why can't you? You know, and, and so the, one of the great examples that I'm going to give today in this speech uh, is so when I was young, right, when I was probably three or four, uh, probably four, my, my mom taught me how to play chess. And so, and so a lot of people think this is crazy, right? But what I want you to think about is, Rob, you know, by the time we're three or four, we can speak. We can speak English. That's we have right. learned a language. And what I will guarantee you is I can sit down right now and take someone who doesn't know how to play chess, and I can teach them how to play chess faster than I can teach them a new language. 
I mean, would you agree with that statement? That's true. That's very true. I never thought of that. So if a three- or four-year-old can learn a language, which is very difficult to do, why do we think they can't play chess? Uh Well, it's because we don't try. And so because we believe we can't do it, you know, we believe, oh, well, that's too young to play chess. That's too difficult. Let me tell you, we are a lot smarter than we all give ourselves credit for. Very true. And we can do things that we don't think we can do. And so if you will just just believe and just take the understanding and take off that that self-limiting belief that says, well, I can't be good with credit. I'm not good at math. I'm not good with numbers. Just do it. I mean, there's there's nothing. Look, I don't have any magical powers. You know, there, there's nothing different about me and you. We all breathe the same air and, and, and we speak the same language and, and we do the same things day to day. We, you know, we put our, our shoes on one foot at a time. There is no magic to this. There, I have no magic powers. It's a, a want and a belief that I can understand these things. You know, I, I dropped out of college. You know, I didn't, I wasn't taught everything I know about personal finance and credit cards from college or anywhere else. I made a decision to go out and learn it. And, and so what I will tell you is if you can strike down uh, any beliefs you have of things you cannot do. And this is one of the greatest things I have is I really, I believe I can do anything. And, and, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Um, but what I will tell you is if you believe you can do this, and, and trust me, you can. All right, the amount of math involved, the numbers involved, it is, not, it is not rocket science to be really good with personal finance. But for whatever reason, people shut down. Just like the idea, of if I said, hey, I want everybody out there to go home and teach their four-year-olds how to play chess, people are going to think, oh, that, that, that can't happen. That doesn't make sense. Why not? I mean, the, the, a four-year-old can learn a language. Why can't they? Why can't they play chess? And, and why can't you be a financial ninja? Why can't you be as good at understanding interest rates and APRs and everything as I am? And the, and the answer is you absolutely can. Uh, but you have to believe. You, you can't listen to me here on the radio and think to yourself, oh, I can't do that. That's not for me. Because the minute you do that, the minute you put that limiting belief on yourself, the minute you put that doubt, the minute you refuse, the minute you make the decision that you can't do this, that this is too difficult, that this is too advanced when it's not, then you lose. And then you're not going to be able to do it. And on the flip side, you can't just sit there and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a smart, I'm going to be smarter financially and then magically become it. You've got to go out and invest the time and you've got to do the research. You've got to educate yourself and you've got to take advantage of resources like this show uh, in order to to elevate your knowledge. But you absolutely can do it. Uh, there, there's nothing magical or special. Certain people just make a decision that they're going to uh-huh. and believe you can. And if you believe, if one, you believe you can, and then two, you actually put in the time and do the research and, and learn, you can absolutely do all the things I'm talking about by taking advantage of the grace periods and the billing cycles and the float time on credit cards, by taking advantage of paying, you know, instead of paying cash, financing something if it's 0% interest and investing that money. You can do all these things. You know, you, you, can, you can own investment properties. You can build personal wealth. You can become a homeowner. You know, there's so many things that we can absolutely do because what I want you to do is I want you to look at other people who do it and realize they're no different than you. Mm-hmm. If you're living in an apartment and one of your friends owns a house, wh- what do you really think is different? Oh, well, they have a better job than I do. Well, that, that's relative. That doesn't mean anything. There's people with worse jobs than you that own houses. Right. Oh, well, they they went to college and I didn't. There's people that didn't go to college that own houses. You know, all of these things, we can do them. You know, we are very, very intelligent beings. Our our capabilities are much more than what we give ourselves credit for. Uh, And and maybe we we should probably fit this into the rules somewhere, Rob. But, you know, you have to believe in yourself. And and I I know that that sounds so cliche and it's it's been beat down by the self-help gurus. And but it really it really is a, a beginning point. And, and what I will tell you is just believing in yourself isn't enough. But if you don't believe in yourself, then then it's a non-starter. You know, if you believe you can't do it, you're never even going to try. Uh, or at least if you try, you have a shot at success. Well, a while ago, I was talking about the rules. And if you want to see the complete list of the rules, maybe copy them off your computer. That is a good idea. You should hang them up someplace. Maybe make that on the family bulletin board, something that is discussed every now and then. When you look at the 15 rules, it'd be a really nice project to take 15 nights and have family dinner every night. Maybe it doesn't have to be consecutive because we know everybody has a busy schedule. But if you set aside 15 nights and you say, okay, today we're going to have our favorite top 15 meals, you know, give them a little spiff there, but you start off and you say, okay, tonight, what's rule number one? All right. Always shop around. Let's talk about that and how you kids are shopping around. Dad, let's talk about that when you're buying tools and boats and stuff like that. Mom, tell us about your shopping around. If we start having financial discussions with our family, think of what our kids will be empowered with when they grow up and compare that to the knowledge we had when we got our first paycheck as a teenager. 
or the challenges that we faced when we left the home, when we left mom and dad, and we became on our own, and we were renting, and we were paying cable, and we were opening up charge accounts, and look at the problems we ran into, and sometimes we had to go and have our parents bail us out, or we had to take a second job or a third job because we got in over our head. Well, if you start educating your kids, they won't fall into those traps when they get to be your age, when it's time for them to move out, okay? And then they'll always be empowered. Heck, they might be helping you. They could be supporting you in your older years if you haven't planned your retirement, right? But anyway, you see where we're going with this, right? All right, let's get back to talking with Robert because he has always been known as the revolutionary. I say that right here in the same room with you, Robert. You've always been the guy that came into the mortgage industry and started changing the rules the minute you got there on behalf of the consumer. And you really did that with the pre-approval process. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we thought the same thing. You know, I expected it to cost money, but in the end it didn't. And so let me, uh, I guess here's what happened. Once upon a time, right? We'll we'll go back in history a couple oh, of years. No. So once upon a time, uh, I did that part the same way as everybody else, right? And so when I, when I came out and I had the idea, we're not going to charge fees, we're going to be more efficient, all these things. Uh, we, the pre-approval process, we did the same as everybody else. And so our loan officers, our, our licensed loan originators could just issue pre-approvals with no oversight. Somebody fogging a mirror. Yeah. I mean, we, you we don't, job. we don't know because we had no oversight, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe loan officer A was very diligent and looked at everything. And then loan officer B didn't look at anything and just issued pre-approvals. We don't know because there was no oversight. And, and this is how most mortgage companies do it. Uh, and the idea, I guess, is that if, a, if the loan officer does a bad job, then he'll stop getting referrals from his real estate agents and he'll just naturally weed himself out of the industry. Right? Okay. I, I think that's, okay. I, th I feel like looking back, that's the system. Mo mo no other mortgage companies really even think about this, but uh, I would guess that's the system they're kind of relying on, right? Because you screw up enough times and then you just wash out of the industry and you disappear. Yeah. Uh, that's not good enough for me, right? And, and so back in the day, we did not have oversight of our originators. And I had some that made some really stupid decisions and issued a bunch of pre-approvals to people that were not really pre-approved. And, and so I realized I had to fix it because this, this was a big problem. I mean, you can't give consumers false hope. I mean, the, I think the worst thing we can do as an industry is tell someone they're pre-approved if, mm -hmm. if they're really not approvable, right? Well, you're pre-approved, but I, then I can't get you the mortgage at the last minute. And, and things do pop up. Things do happen, right? I mean, this is very complex. You know, we, we get a couple weeks into the transaction and we figure out that, uh, oh, well, you didn't file your taxes or, you know, you, you had a foreclosure, you forgot to tell us about it, all these things. And, and so what I looked at is I said, well, we're catching all this stuff a week before closing because that's when we pull our fraud report. That's when we pull our public record search. Mm -hmm. That's when we verify the tax transcripts from the IRS. Why don't we just do all that stuff in the very beginning, right? <laughs> and, and then this is where our validation team comes in. And, and on top of that, why don't we have oversight? So whenever a loan officer issues a pre-approval, why don't we have somebody else in the company go back and, and recheck their work and make sure that they're making a good decision, make sure they're making the right call, right? And that happens in the underwriting department. Because the underwriters are the ones that make the actual decision. And so your loan officer can sit there all day long and tell you they're approved. But if the underwriter doesn't agree with their decision, the loan's not going to get closed. Mm -hmm. No loan closes without an underwriter approving it anywhere, period. And so I said, why don't we have a, a group sit inside our underwriting department? We'll make them a validation team of underwriters. And their job is to go behind and look at the deals after the loan officers issue the pre-approvals to make sure the pre-approval is solid, right? And then on top of that, we, we deployed all this technology to automatically read the credit report and read the file and look for red flags so we could accelerate those and put them on the radar for the validation team even quicker. And since we did this, our pre-approval is now so strong, right? And so initially I thought this is going to cost me a lot of extra money. You know, and I'm sitting down mm -hmm. with Ingrid and I'm like, Ingrid, I got this idea, you know, for, for anybody who doesn't listen, Ingrid is my, my chief uh -huh. operating officer. And uh, so I, I sit down with Ingrid and I'm like, Ingrid, I got this idea. Uh, we're going to put this validation team together and we're going to start pulling the the fraud reports and the public record searches up front. And we're going to start pulling the, the tax transcripts earlier. We're going to do all this stuff. And, and she's like, Robert, that's going to cost us a ton of money. You know, she says that every day. underwriters are not cheap. And, <laughs> and these fraud tools and these public records, are, like there's a reason we wait till the end to pull them because we don't want to pull it unless we know the loan's going to close because it costs a lot of money. And I said, well, you know, I, I understand that. And, and I'm, I'm willing to forego that income because I really believe this is important. And I, I, I need to be able to know that we are issuing a strong pre-approval and that we are not giving people false hope and that we are not getting people to go out there and write offers on houses and submit offers, you know, and write contracts and get houses under contract only to find out later that they were never really should have been pre-approved in the first place. So we're going to do this. 
And uh, and so she she chewed me out in Spanish. And so I, I have no idea what she said. I mean, she she went off on this Spanish tirade at me and I love her to death. And I, I really I, I keep telling myself I'm going to learn Spanish. So when she gets angry at me and she starts cursing at me in Spanish, I'll have some idea what she's saying. But I, to this day, I have no idea what what she said. She kind of stormed out of my office and uh, and, and we put it in place. Right. And, and again, and, and, you know, and Ingrid, Ingrid loves, you know, Ingrid cares about our customers. Ingrid is, is, is the biggest champion of customer service as I am. But Ingrid's a little more conservative when it comes to the idea of us being a for-profit corporation, right? Like I, I like yeah. to run this place like a nonprofit, and uh, and Ingrid, Ingrid gets upset with me because I, you know, she's like Robert, you can't keep giving all the money away. Like, yeah. you know, at some point this is about making a profit, and I'm like, you know, whatever, we we do fine, it's all good. So we put it in place, and so I would say about six months later, about six months later, Ingrid comes to me. And, and she's like, I got to give it to you, boss. She's like, this was one of the greatest ideas you've ever come up with. And it is actually saving us money. And the reason it's saving oh, us money, right. Rob, is because now we're not. Because you got to think when when someone's loan gets denied at the last minute, think about how much we we invested in that loan. Right. And so I didn't even think about this from a financial standpoint. I thought about it purely from a, a customer service and a reputational and doing the right thing for our customers. But when we when she looked at the cost of denying a loan a week before closing. After X number of man hours of processing, an X number of man hours of underwriting, an X number of man hours of closing, an X number of man hours of upload and quality control and, and pulling all these fraud tools. Because the, the funny thing is, you got to pull the fraud tool to know the loan's denied, so you're still paying the cost, even if you're waiting till the end, sure. right? And, and so after all of her analysis, after six months, she figured out that it, uh, that it actually saved us money by putting it in place. I said, well, that's great, Ingrid, then we can make our rates better, Right. If we're saving money, let's, let's, give, let, more money know, let's give more money away. This is oh, this is no. absolutely great. And then she kind of cursed at me in Spanish again and, and left my office. But uh, <laughs> but no, it really ended up being a great thing. And so it was a great thing for us. It was a great thing for consumers. But this was one of those like aha moments. I mean, we we kind of tripped into it. Like I, I didn't I didn't expect it to be good for me. I thought I was making a sacrifice in order to help our mm-hmm. consumers. And then six months later, we realized that it was a, a great benefit for both sides. And I don't know why every mortgage company in the, pl- I, I see Ingrid walking toward the, yeah. the window. She's, she, wearing, she's wearing a hot well, pink jacket today. She walked yeah. by the window and heard yeah. her name yeah. a while ago. Yeah. And she rolled her eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, <laughs> she went down the hall. She's going to get somebody in row seven <laughs> over there. Um, but yeah, so it ended up being great for us and great for the consumers. And and, and the cool thing is, I, I, I truly believe this, Rob. I truly believe that it, our customers now have an advantage over the the competitors when they're out bidding on houses, right? Oh, so you if, bet. if you get into a multiple offer situation, you know if you if you go out there and you submit an offer uh, with an RP funding pre- validated pre approval, and then the Jones family submits an offer from who knows, never heard of them, sitting on his couch in his boxer shorts, issuing pre approvals with no oversight, mortgage.com, right? You know the seller the seller knows. The seller probably listens to my show. The seller probably just heard me give the entire dissertation on why the RP funding pre approval is so strong. And we do a lot of marketing to the sellers and, and to make sure people understand mm-hmm. what makes our pre-approval different. Because I, I truly believe, and it's important to me, that RP funding customers have an advantage over the competition when they're going and making offers on houses, right? And because I want their offer to get accepted. Because I want them to get that house. I don't want I don't want the other guy's customer to get the house. I want my client to get the house. Sure. And so by investing in our pre-approval and investing in technology and investing in our brand, uh, we set our customer up to have the best possible chance of getting their their contract and offer accepted with that strong validated RP funding pre-approval. And the coolest thing about the RP funding validated pre-approval is it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you a dime. I mean, you know, I've- Oh, no, I've, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to file an application fee? Yeah, no, application yeah absolutely nothing. And, and the funny thing is, and this is another one that Ingrid really gets angry with me for, when I tell people, just just use us for the pre-approval and then go close with, you know, so it, here here's my point. Let's say that you're buying a house and your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, Right. Now, I understand that you have to go to Thanksgiving with this woman. You know, you have to, you know, you are married to her daughter or whatever. Like, if your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, uh, please do not shop around. Uh, please do not call us here at RP Funding. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think I don't think ruining the rest of your life and maybe your marriage is worth saving the four or five, six thousand dollars $6,000. I mean, maybe it is to you. I'm going to say it's not. Uh, and, and because the funny thing is most people think, well, she's family. She's going to give me a good deal. Uh, it's it's actually the exact opposite, and I can tell you from years of experience uh, where we would get loans in from mortgage brokers, and and close friends and family got the worst deals because they knew they were the least likely to shop around. And, and so when we would see this, we would see like a loan come in, 
uh, from a mortgage broker for us to underwrite and close and fund when I was at the other company. And, and we would, and it would have crazy high fees on it. And then we would notice that people had the same last name, you know, or they were some, some way related. And, and we're like, oh, of course, of course, you're charging all these fees to your relative because they wouldn't shop. Anyway, so if your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, uh, I understand that you're going to need to close your loan with her mm-hmm. because no matter how much money I can save you, it's not worth uh, sleeping on the couch for the rest of your life uh, or or going through a divorce and, and then having to sell the home or whatever else. But I will tell you this, uh, get an RP funding validated pre-approval so that your offer will get accepted. So even if you have no intention of closing with us because you have some obligation <laughs> to go through your mother-in-law or whatever else, I still want you to use the RP funding validated pre-approval because it's going to increase your chances of getting your offer accepted. It's going to increase your chances uh, of, of getting that home under contract uh, and, and we're here to help do that because I, you know, I, I don't care. It's fine. It, do it. You know, mm-hmm. we're here to help. We're here to help everybody. We're here to help everybody uh, be smarter consumers. We're trying to make financial ninjas out of everybody that listens. So if you need an RP funding validated pre-approval, uh, it's free. Uh, it's the strongest pre-approval out there. It's got all these uh, layers of oversight and due diligence, and we can upgrade it to our validated pre-approval. And you can pick up the phone right now and give us a call at 855-773-8634. That's 855-773-8634. Seven seven three eight six three four. Talk to one of our great loan originators. Uh, let them know you need a you need a strong RP funding validated pre approval, mm-hmm. and they're going to help you. And they're going to help you every step of the way. It gets you to the closing table. Uh, and, and the other thing is, so so let's say you get a, a validated pre approval from us, right? And then so at the last minute, if your mother in law doesn't close on time, like maybe your mother in law leaves your file under couch cushion for two weeks, or or maybe your mother-in-law thought the underwriter was going to calculate your income one way and they end up calculating it in a different way and they decline it. Or maybe the underwriter for the lender that your mother-in-law sends the file to misinterprets a guideline and denies your file. If I already gave you an RP funding validated pre-approval, I can pick up the pieces and get you closed in like a week. So think of mm. us like an insurance policy, right? We're an insurance policy against you getting bad news at the last minute and not being able to move into your house. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing anybody wants <clears throat> is to find out a week before closing after they've told the kids and they've registered them for school and they've planned the housewarming party and they've given notice to their landlord and they've loaded up the U-Haul and they're ready to roll. And then your mortgage guy, which in this case is your mother-in-law, calls you and is like, oh, hey, uh, Rob, uh, bad news. Uh, we're not going to be closing. The uh, underwriter recalculated your income and there's a uh, payment shock and too many layers of risk. And you'd be like, hey, hey, mom, no problem. Thank you. You just saved me like five grand in fees because now I can go close with RP funding and I have to sleep on the couch <laughs> right for the rest of my life. And I can still come see you at Thanksgiving. And now I can make you feel guilty because you almost cost me my dream home, mom. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that that's how you can flip the mm-hmm. tables there. So think of the RP funding pre-approval as an insurance policy. Uh, if you do feel like you have to use some other lender because there's some relationship there, which I I understand, I get it. Like, I mean, I I would be upset if if one day uh, my my child got married and and they wanted to use someone else for their mortgage. I I, I can understand that completely. Well, Robert, it has been a fun, fast-paced show today. A lot of information going to these great listeners and people. You are the ones that power this show. If you're not listening to it, if you're not responding with Ask RPs, if you're not going to the website. Well, there's no reason for us to be here. But if you're ever challenged with money, if you feel like you can learn some really, really good things and that that will help you get ahead with no obligation, you don't have to do business with the RP family of companies. We've just made it our goal. And this all starts with Robin himself. We now work, there are dozens of us, who the only thing we come to work for every day is not to sell you a product, not to give you a home loan, but for us, our goal is to empower you. And maybe one day down the road, You'll decide that you've set aside enough money, you've got your budget, you're in charge of your money, and you do want to buy a home. Well, I hope that you'll consider RP funding, and I hope that you'll consider the Robert Palmer family of companies. But again, this information comes to you absolutely free. We don't interrupt it with a lot of commercials. We're giving you this because we care and because Robert Palmer wants you to save thousands. See you next time.